0: Not everyone with stories to share about Sylvania, Alabama, is a current resident, or even a native. Episode 3 features someone who has been absent from daily life in the community for several years, but still maintains friendships that began back in the 1980s. Listen in as retired educator, gentleman farmer, and lifelong Geraldine resident Robbie Ritchie looks back at the impact one Bulldog had upon a generation of Sylvania Rams. Nineteen sixty-two, one, sixty-one. Born in nineteen sixty-one. Went to Geraldine K through twelve.
1: One through twelve. We didn't have kindergarten.
0: Okay. And then graduated <clears throat> from Geraldine what year.
1: Seventy-nine.
0: Okay. And then went to Sneed, and then Jacksonville. Okay. Did where did you live when you were at Sneed? And where did you live at, when you were at Jacksonville State?
1: When I lived at. When I went to Sneed, I was still living at home, driving back and forth. And then I had an apartment on uh, West Mountain Avenue in Jacksonville, where I lived while I was there. Okay,
0: finished up there what year?
1: Finished my bachelor's in December of 82 and stayed and did a master's and finished it December of 83. Okay.
0: So December 83, you finished with school?
1: Uh, partially yes at that time at that time (laughs) and worked with federal program in DeKalb County where I visited um, helped kids help students get jobs and then I went back and made sure that they were uh, doing what they were supposed to be doing and working with the employers then worked a year with head start and top kindergarten Mm -hmm. And then in August of, or the summer of 85, I was hired at Sylvania.
0: Okay, so hired a summer of 85.
1: Mm-hmm. Started in August of 85 at Sylvania.
0: And then starting August of 85 at Sylvania, then um, how long were you at Sylvania? 10 years. Okay, so finished up what academic year?
1: Finished up the spring of 95. Okay. and I transferred to Crossville.
0: So right, right at 10 years, mm-hmm. what did you teach when you first got to Sylvania?
1: First year I was at Sylvania, I taught uh, government economics, which is uh, seniors, and then seventh grade, history, social studies. Mr. Parrish believed that you should, at least in theory, that you should mix. Uh, teachers should have um, lower and upper classes.
0: So talk to me then about, you know, growing up in Geraldine, you know, I'm assuming you had connections with Sylvania. Were they beyond just that the two were in the same county and played each other in sporting events? That was basically
1: it. Um, Of course, as I got older, older, Weldon Parrish had grown up in Geraldine as well. And his family and my family were... um, good friends, his dad and my dad had worked together as plumbers, and so I had that connection and knowing. So when I was hired at the county board meeting and um, well, to back up, the year of 1984 was a uh, political year, campaign year, election year, and it was a dirty election, and particularly in the realm of County politics and County school board politics. Several teachers were shuffled because of what had happened in the campaign. So that left a lot of openings. And that's how I was sent to how I was hired at Sylvania. I know I walked in or I called the board. Met one night I was placed. I called Mr. Parrish the next morning asking if I could come up and, and talk to him. And he said, yes, and I did. And he started an interview with me. And he said, now, you know, I really don't know what the board's gonna do. I said, well, Mr. Parrish, I was placed last night. You've got me. And you know, it, that took him by surprise because he didn't know. First person I ever met when I walked in Sylvania High School was Kathy Roebuck. Two things, one, Her youngest daughter was in seventh grade, which I found out I would be teaching, and Jan Putnam's daughter was a senior, which I was, so I had two um, women who were, had some clout in um, the school that were both watching me because I was going to be teaching their children, and what was this brand new teacher that they'd never heard of and never seen and was not a homebody and all that, what was going to happen?
0: Right. So, (laughs) would it be an understatement to say that you felt pressure?
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. Um, One, I I really can't remember who it was. It may have been Mr. Parrish but day or so later, because I met Jan Putnam that day, too. Uh, She was there doing some work in her classroom, and when she found out I was going to be teaching seniors, she just gushed over me and this that and the other and and I think it was Mr. Parrish later on asked what I thought of the people I'd met and this that and the other and and something was said about Janice though she's very nice but I said I also know that I'm going to be teaching her daughter and she has a reason to be nice and he started laughing he said well you're smarter than um Most, because you realize it's not so much who you are, it's what you can do for somebody. And that's true in many things. And that's not anti-Jan. She was just being a a mama, (coughs) which I understood completely, even though I was barely 23 years old. At that time, I was the youngest faculty member at Sylvania.
0: So, you come in, it's 1985, remind me. Did we have air conditioning yet?
1: Oh, no, no, no. In fact, that had been one of the campaign uh, issues of 1984, was that one of the schools, Plainview, the University of Plainview, the citizens had raised money and had air conditioned the elementary building at least. And that was one of the campaign things was the fact that the county had the money to air condition the buildings, but they had not chosen to do so. And Mr. Kelly said that would be one of his things. But it took time to do that because you're dealing with a lot of old buildings and the plans had to be made. So over the first two years, no, we did not have air conditioning at all. But when would school start? School started in August, about mid-August.
0: So school started mid-August, there was no <clears throat> air conditioning. What was
1: the dress code? Uh, It was less restrictive than it became. Um, Shorts were all right. Um, T-shirts were okay for um, male, female. You had to, um, you know, just common decency. Of course, it got almost absurd that uh, shorts couldn't be so far above the knee. And you had these people who wanted to go around with a measuring stick and measure and make sure that uh, the shorts were not too far above the knee, which was just another, you know, just laughable and a conflict waiting to happen all the time, which it did. And then my classroom was on the west side of the building. So by afternoon, you're getting that full sun and no um, air conditioning. In fact, I scored major points the first week of teaching because I went and bought fans and put in my room. And I was one of the few teachers that did that. Just all oh, you are doing were blowing around hot air, but at least it was something circulating.
0: I would imagine you can look back and that, I mean, you probably felt it at the time, but you're probably even more looking back, thinking about that it's one thing to go to a new school 15 years into your career or eight mm-hmm. years into your career, however but this is your first school. Hmm. I mean, I know you've done Head Start. Yes, this, is, this is the first, this is the first full-fledged. Yes. C- yes, here I am in I made counting. I I county fully
1: remember, and people will say I'm lying. I fully remember the first day. The bell rang. I closed the door, turned around. There was a group of seniors looking at me like I was fresh meat, and I was thinking, now what the hell do I do? And I had to do something or I was going to be um, <clears throat> laughed out of the classroom. So we started, and I've held on so far.
0: Because, again, at that time, you're 23, mm-hmm. and there's probably there people... There were
1: several. In that class, many of the girls were dating guys older than I at that time. And I could you know name names. So, yeah, it was... Um, I had to think about that. And I think Mr. Parrish set me up to see how I could hold up. I really think he did. Well, he sort of admitted he did a few years later, but um, it worked out all right. You're talking about air conditioning and it's hard for people to believe now, you know, that at that time, and at most schools, and I know at Sylvania, the heat was done by a boiler system, radiators. You'd freeze those first few cold days in October, and then they'd finally turn the radiators on, and then it, they didn't turn them off until it got hot in April or May. And you scorched the rest of the time because you had there were, there were no individual thermostats. It was full force. You know, all you could do was open windows. It was either on or off. There was no way in between, and um, you know what you thought you looked decent in, dressed up in the first period. You're usually stripped down to your t-shirt if you had one on by sixth period.
0: So it's again talking about 1985. So thinking about you being there, you know, late 80s, early 90s. One thing I would even ask you about to start off with being a new teacher and a new teacher who had gone to another high school in the county, after like your first year at Sylvania, were there things that you could kind of check off to say, these were things they do that we don't do at Geraldine. This is Growing up at Geraldine, we didn't do this, this, and this, or we didn't have this, or we did have this, and they don't have it. Are there any, or is it like, nope, now that I look back, Crossville, Geraldine, Sylvania, they all were pretty similar in having all the same things, or is there anything unique, good, good and bad?
1: <clears throat> I think Sylvania, and I don't mean this to take away from Sylvania students, one of the things that Sylvania had as an advantage, we had the feeder school Henniger. And good, bad, or otherwise, at least during those first five or six years there, the Sylvania, the Henniger students came in and they brought a lot of. Quality academics. And Sylvania had the reputation at that time of having some of the higher academics. Now, they were great Sylvania students, I'm not saying that. But those five or six years, there were some top notch kids coming in from Henninger that really brought up our ACT and SAT or whatever other scores there were to bring up. And that helped tremendously countywide sylvania had maybe for lack of a better description artistic tone than the other schools did um, i'll use an example of um, the choir the choral and that type of thing which jan putnam had been involved in with that and that was something that other schools didn't have uh, or at least Geraldine didn't have and had no interest in having um, Of course, Sylvania had an excellent athletic program, football, basketball primarily. So, except for those couple of things, you know, it was pretty even. The community had a lot of good community support. Um, Turned out, I really didn't realize at the time, but later on I found out that my grandfather had been one of the carpenters building that building um, back when it was, um, was built. And I always thought that was, Sort of interesting to have that connection. But great community support, even though the basically all that the community had was the school, and I guess that was part of it, was because there was nothing else really at that time to divert attention away from. Let's go see what's going on at the school Friday night or whenever it was.
0: You're talking about Henniger. makes me think <clears throat> that, that I guess that is something that makes Sylvania probably even to this day, unique just in in that aspect of it, that it is two communities represented by nine through 12.
1: Right. Whereas,
0: I guess when you were at Geraldine, where does Asbury?
1: No, um, we don't have any fooders. Asbury's Marshall County. That's
0: what I thought. So Asbury went fully to
1: Albertville. Right. Well, we had some students that came from Asbury that didn't- But it wasn't the same. But it was not the same. No, it was not the same. there were some top-notch academic students during that time period that really helped the Sylvania scores, you know, as they were published in the paper, if Sylvania scored this and Geraldine scored, you know, something else. And so that was a, a major thing. And it helped keep the teachers on their toes, too.
0: You're talking about building the school, building a school, and um, Jan talked about, or actually it was my father was talking about He said, you know, when the school was finished, he said, you know, the gym, was the old gym, what we call the old gym now, he said, that gym wasn't there. He said, initially, the basketball team was playing its official games at the gym in Henniger, Mm. which I did not know that. So then the gym, you know, gets added, and I look back and I think about, I can't remember the gym at Crossville, but at, at the time in the 80s, you know, you had the the Geraldine Gym, the Fife Gym, and the uh, initial Plainview Gym, and the Eider Gym. That when I think of those, they all looked pretty similar. Well, like they were yeah. all from the same.
1: Well, if you look at gyms in the county today, it is the new Savanna Gym um, is the Geraldine Gym with just some minor things. They hire one architect and they lay out a basic plan, and then if something Needs to be tweaked at each different school. Then that's how they do it. And they just stick stick with the basic plan. Um, that
0: and that's what I was going to say is that must have been. I would imagine for you then, as a student, if you had ever traveled to a, a Geraldine game at Sylvania, and then becoming a teacher at Sylvania, the Sylvania gym was certainly different.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One thing it was connected to the physically connected to the building, and that was certainly different because <clears throat> you had. And all the other campuses, you know, it was a hike from the building out, and particularly in bad weather, that was one of the advantages of Sylvania's gym was that kids didn't have to go out in cold, or go out in the rain, or whatever, they were there. Now on the other hand, there was constant noise, you know, and constant movement, and constant something going on down there that was always drawing somebody's attention. And if my room, the classroom was never close to the gym, but those that were... You know, that was not always a positive thing.
0: Right. Well, and you had the unusual setup that, you know, I guess initially it was a building that was not only the gymnasium and an auditorium for a stage, but then you also had the cafeteria that was underneath mm-hmm. the bleachers. So it was a true multi-purpose right. building, right. you know. And again, it'd be unusual that the bleachers are all on one side and the stage is on mm-hmm. the opposite. Whereas yes. that other traditional gym, it was more of bleachers on each side and a stage at one end. Right,
1: yeah, you had you had all of your, uh, the people that came to watch the ball game, What, no matter what team they were there for, they were on the same side of the bleachers, which um, could be interesting at times, dangerous at times. Um, and then of course they set up those little portable uh, bleachers across on the stage and the, the uh, um, I guess you'd say the movers and the shakers of the teams and everything would shift over there and that would be a separation between uh, the different schools
0: yeah that was an interesting that's a good observation or a way to describe it as I can remember that it, it did feel like that the parents of both schools teams, you know, ended up sitting Mm. on those portable bleachers on the stage. Right,
1: yeah. That was sort of the place to be. Yeah. Um, And, of course, for years I kept the book for Coach Clinton Graham and Coach Talley for um, the basketball games and working with Billy Jack Lee, who kept the clock. And, you know, that was an experience in itself of just, having to keep watch the book, watch what was going on, watch the coaches, and then making sure Mr. Lee hadn't flipped the switch and the clock was counting up instead of counting down while he was eating his popcorn and his hot dog at the same time. But we made it. One of the funniest, to me, stories out of the basketball, and there were many, but the one that always stands out to me is Coach Graham got mad at one of the games and said some, used some profanity. And the referee, I remember Hob Thompson, turned around to him and said, "Uh, uh, I thought you were a preacher. He said, I am a preacher. He said, well, uh, not heard many preachers use language like that. Clinton responded to him, well, I haven't seen many referees um, call, whatever he called. And got down to, um, Clinton kept on after him, and Thompson turned around and said, well, you know, um, I bet I'm a better referee than you are a preacher. He just went and sat back down. And then, of course, the Kent Wilburn story Gary Talley got kicked out of a ball game there and was sent down to the dressing room, which, of course, was under the stage. And apparently the referee had thoughts about it later on. He turned around. I think Bill Monroe had taken over for him when he was kicked out. Got, a, got Bill to send him a student out there, and the student he sent was Kent Wilburn. And he said, you can go down and tell Coach Talley he can come back so Kent went running down, told, told Kent Talley that he could uh, come back up to the game. Talley's response was, you can tell him to go to hell. Kent came running right back up, went straight out on the court, tapped the referee on the shoulder and said, he said, you can go to hell. And um, that was Kent Willard. Um And then went and sat back down. But <clears throat> there were some interesting folks around so we talked talked about you know
0: air conditioning you know coming into play (laughs) at that time all right it's 1985 you're a history teacher next year is 1986 1986 in kind of winter time we are out of school either for was it we were out of school either for the pipes had
1: ruptured? There was a freeze, and they had left windows open in the boys' bathroom upstairs, and Pops, well, actually the toilets froze and split and cracked. And for some reason, the county uh, maintenance people said they couldn't get toilets, so Sylvania was out longer because of that.
0: So while we were out there was a significant event that happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that was? I would say the Challenger blowing up. That's right. So, do you remember
0: where you were when mm-hmm. it happened?
1: Yeah, I remember I was driving, had the radio on, and it, you know, it came on over, over the radio, and then of course when I got home, it was um, television, was watching and trying to see what was going on. Yeah, it was, uh, very sad time. Very sad um, for the for the nation and for the world as well. To know that you know those folks still have the image of watching them walking down the ramp, all smiles and waving, um, and then in just a short period of time they were evaporated. And, you know, I was at Crossville when nine uh, eleven happened. You know, so it was sort of a, a similar, similar feeling. In terms of that,
0: can you remember whether you know when we when we <clears> got <throat> back in school after the Challenger exploded, did you talk about it any of in Of course,
1: yeah, we all did. Um, we tried to and tried to have an understanding of of why it was important. It wasn't just about the loss of life, but you know. the that which was certainly outstanding, but also the idea of, of a nation mourning and that type of thing. And um, that was sort of, for that generation, what I would have to imagine um, Pearl Harbor was for parents' generation, or grandparents' generation of students at that time. You know, where you were and what you remember and um, because we could see it on television in living color, and, and that made a big difference too.
0: We talked about all the different hats, you know, you wear as a teacher. A lot of times in a public school, especially in a rural public school, of you know, you're probably a sponsor of something. You may be a coach of something. You may also be selling tickets, working a concession stand at a sporting event or a, a you know, drama event what have you. Um, Then also, you know, you may be a sponsor for a prom, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a sponsor for newspaper, and then also um, class trips.
1: Yes.
0: Talk about class trips. Didn't you have a period (laughs) of time where you were a sponsor of class trips?
1: Well, I don't know that I was a sponsor. I was the idiot that said I would do it. Later on, I moved up from seventh grade to I only had ju- sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And trying to come up with ways of of making some of these things real that we were talking about. So um, several years took groups to um, Washington DC, New York, Boston. We would get on, a, there was a travel company, or a bus company there in, uh, Sylvania, Julian Wafford's uh, ran, and she would help us and come up with a, a bus tour that she would get adults to go as well so that the student cost would be cheaper. And it's an experience riding a bus from um, Sylvania, Alabama to Boston. And then you know or, which was the furthest we ever went. And sometimes other people would go. Um, I know Ellen Hardiman went a time or two. uh, Deborah Talley went a time or two with me. But there were times I just went by myself. And I look back at that and think how stupid you were to go off with a group of juniors and seniors and think that everything would be fine. You know, because somebody could have got something, whatever could have happened, could have happened. And I'm sure things did happen that I didn't know of, but hopefully the statute of limitations have just run out by now on most of it. I think they enjoyed it. We visited the Holocaust Museum in Washington, DC, and it had just been open a few weeks. And I know that was a big deal of getting tickets. Simply at that time, you had to have tickets to, to get in and, and to, to arrange all of that. Also at that time we had some um, representative, Tom Bevel at U.S. Capitol. His office was would just bend over backwards to help any school group. And they were great to help us. Um, Broadway plays, you know, and... S- Do you remember what you saw? Um, Les Mis, I know we saw that one time. And um, Cats. I know we saw cats, but I think it helped a lot of the kids that would not have had the opportunity to do some of those things just because somebody made a point of taking them, making it available they could go. But a lot of the kids at that time didn't have those opportunities. And it wasn't always the best way to travel by bus, but it worked. I also took some to... Montgomery, uh, Birmingham to uh, Civil Rights Museum, Montgomery to the state legislature, uh, Limestone Prison, uh, Julia Tutwiler Prison. I remember some of the Sylvania football studs going in prison at Julia Tutwiler and no woman's gonna say anything to me. And, you know, they were just all um, typical macho. Uh, I can handle this. and at that time, Judy Tutwiler was more like an open dormitory and sort of like changing classes in the hall. They weren't, prisoners were not in sales, they were out mingling around. And we walked in and they slammed those doors behind us. And I know about four or five of them, every time I took a step, they took a step. And um, I told, I looked at them, I said, boys, if something happens in here, you're on your own now. We spoke with um, Judith Ann Neely, who was, um, Notorious uh, character of associated with DeKalb County. We got to talk to her a couple of times while we were there. So, those were some things that I hope helped students what see were, a different picture.
0: What was that like talking to Judith Ann Neely?
1: Well, you know, the background was Judith Ann Neely was involved with the kidnapping and murder of a 13 year old girl out of Georgia. And they threw her body off of um, the bluff at Little River Canyon at Fort Payne. And it was, um, at that time she was on death row both the times we talked to her since then she's been commuted to life in prison. I remember the first time we were there and we were going through one of the guards spoke to me and said y'all are from DeKalb County and I said yes. He said well that's Judith Ann Neely. At that time the death row inmates at Tutwiler sort of had their own little private exercise area. It reminded me of a dog kennel, chain link fence, about the, not much bigger than a dog kennel, but it was their own private little area. And I said, well, do you think she would talk to us? And he said, yeah, I think she would. And he went over and um, talked to her and explained, and she, we talked to her maybe 15 minutes. And one of the students um, was, brazen or brave or whatever enough to say, you know, why did you do it? And she was always blaming her husband. She never took responsibility for her own actions. Next time we went down there, she had stopped meeting with anybody. Here's here's
0: a couple of good ones that I, I decided I, I want to ask everybody about, which is June Jam.
1: It's hard to understand now how... Um, Successful Alabama was in the '80s, and what a big draw they were internationally, not just nationally. And to be from little boys from Lookout Mountain, growing up, and their their mamas still worked. One mama worked at Harco Drug, and you would see her when you'd go into the drugstore. Another mother still worked at um, sock mills and that type of thing, and. They were seen out and about and around the community. And of course, as their reputation grew, that became less and less and less. Um, And there were um, pros and cons of that, um, very much so. But I think the pros outweighed the cons. The cons were human nature. The cons were, as we say, sometimes folks getting a little too big for their britches the cons were also people who wanted to be able to say that they walked up and slapped them on the back and that type of thing, and maybe that didn't happen, so or stopped happening. So you had some of those issues. Um, but for people who don't, until you have seen the mass of humanity stretched across that hillside for all, you know, for days, and and been a part of that and if it's pouring down rain or if it's hot as the blazes or whatever, people were there. And we're not talking about people from Alabama or the Southeast, we're talking about nationally and we're talking about internationally. And, and people had it on their calendar, this is what they're gonna to come to. And it's really sad that the community, local community got fed up with it. Uh, and that's really what killed it was that so many of the locals complained about traffic and you know restaurants well there wouldn't have been any traffic and there wouldn't have been some of those restaurants had it not been for June jam and what Alabama did in terms of those types of things because they sure weren't coming for anything else that DeKalb County had and Fort Payne had um, and for them for them to get a little snotty about it and a little you know oh this is just a inconvenience you know I don't blame them at all for pulling the plug when they did but you did have the stars of that time both upcoming and established um, everybody came at one point of time to June jam
0: yeah and it's interesting that you know you think about this wasn't an era of the internet and it wasn't right a, there it wasn't an era really of you know you certainly didn't have CMT Um
1: Well, you were starting to.
0: I guess it was. I guess CMT had started. That's right. CMT Mm -hmm. had started by that point. But you also
1: didn't have a lot of people that had the cable that had true access to things like CMT and um, um, MTV. Right. You know, the folks that had uh, satellite dishes had more access. (coughs) It was folks out out on the mountains, out in the country. You didn't have cable. You know, you three channels and four if the wind was right from Chattanooga and so it is hard to believe what a just to get the word out just to get everything organized just to be as organized as it was um, it was without what we consider modern conveniences it really was a a work
0: well and you think too about there aren't many hotels in Fort Payne now, but there were even fewer
1: at that time. Mm-hmm. You basically... Black's, and um, Black's was about it. The, uh, motor Court, there may have been one down at the south end, just a little motor court, but there were no um, hotel hotels.
0: Well, there was the one that was in the, that was kind of in, in the middle of town. That's Black's. Is it Black's? Because mm-hmm. I thought it was called or it
1: maybe been a couple, but that's I think what, it was under a
0: flag of like it, maybe it was a best western. May
1: have been, but it, everybody called it black because oh, it had been in a right. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you had because um, I remember the rumor that Travis Tripp
0: and Billy Ray Cyrus had had a fight in the parking lot.
1: <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. There were lots of fights. There were and and another thing you have to remember. One of the unique factors was that. DeKalb County and Fort Payne City were dry at that time. And most of the folks coming to that, that was not their normal uh, life. And they, you know, one, they didn't understand what dry meant. And then you mean, we can't take our beer, whatever, in. And had they not, there probably would have been a whole lot more fights. Of course, they were was snuck in. But... Um, officially, you know, we were a dry county, and that made a huge difference.
0: I had forgotten about that, that that would be a, you know, if you've driven your RV all the way from South Dakota mm-hmm. to see June Jam, and you get here and you You know, can't have
1: a beer? <laughs> yeah. Not only can you not take one in, you can't even buy one without going 30 miles. And wonder either... Basically, at that time, it was about 30 miles in any direction to to get any kind of alcohol.
0: It's funny because that that actually was the other thing that I'm asking everybody about is just to say Dry County. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything, any kind of stories that, stories that you could tell that it it may be stories that you'd have to say we'll have to make these names <laughs> is there anything from your era in sylvania that that you you know associate with the words dry county
1: oh yeah um which won't mean anything to anybody except to a, a, about four people myself included uh were missions mission trips and that was um close friends who taught at sylvania some of them were coaches and every so often they would say we need to go on a mission trip and that was when we would go out and go into surrounding counties so that we they I was usually the designated driver so that they could purchase and consume because most of their what the ones that had wives didn't want it consumed at home in front of the kids so we would drive the byways of Jackson and DeKalb counties until everything had been consumed and then they were safely deposited back at home so that you know we still talk about mission trips you know nobody got hurt Uh, there was never any issue it was just um, at that time the oldest, well, when I started teaching at Sylvania, I was 23. The oldest one of that group was 29. So it was just, a, you know, young men, family starting, uh, fatherhood starting for some of them. And they were just getting out away from home for a little while. And that's all it was. But it was definitely Sylvania folks. And uh, You just reminded me of something
0: that. I'm certain is unique to Sylvania and different from Geraldine and Crossville. It's one word, rat hole. (laughs) Talk to me about what the rat hole was. Uh, What word happens? Again, thinking of it in terms of somebody potentially listening to this 15 years from now, what, what was the rat hole?
1: Sylvania High School was built Uniquely. The elementary at that time were, it was a two story building made out of concrete blocks. And downstairs you had the library and the access to the lunchroom and that type of, and to the gym and the elementary classrooms, upper elementary classrooms were all downstairs. The office, and then you had stairway that went up and the stairway went up and the, the first landing of the stairway was the teacher's lounge that's where the they kept the mailboxes, and there were some couches and some snack machines and a Coke machine and a bathroom, and I think the coffee machines downstairs in the office. So, and that's where most of the civilized folks met, and most of the ladies, female teachers met. And you know, if you had to meet with the parents, sometimes you could meet there, whatever. Then there was another off of that landing there was another set of steps about six or seven that took you up into the upstairs hall which is where the high school classes majority of them were and as you came up stepped up into the high school hall on your left was the rat right hole and what it originally was it was going into the attic space there in the, the building and long before i got there some of the teachers male teachers who did not who did not enjoy being with the female teachers because some of them were their wives and because they told stories that the females didn't like and they smoked cigarettes that the females didn't like. At that time, you were still smoking in school. They took a portion of it just and uh, got some cheap paneling and put, put up some paneling, put a coffee maker in there, some old chairs and old couches, and uh, made a men's lounge. And then there was a door that went, On into the attic and storage space for the janitor and that type of thing. And it was called the rat hole because at one time there were rats in there, I guess, still were. And some people might've said some of the people in there were rats. And basically the men met up there and that's where the bull was shot and stories were told and the lies were made out. and, And, you know, you could go, if you had the chance, you could go take a nap real quick uh, during the planning period or whatever, but it was just the area where the men hung out and told their stories and told their lies and, and interacted with each other. Sometimes if the ladies had to hunt for one of us, they'd come, I don't remember many women ever walking in. I think they would stand at the door. I think one or two may have tried to breached the wall, but they were kicked out pretty quickly. And pranks were pulled and stories were told and friendships were made in there. And there's and still some friendships going strong that were made there in the rat hole. But um, you never knew what was gonna happen. And coffee cups might get glued to the table or um, if the janitor had left a drill out, a minute hole might get drilled in coffee cups or that type of thing. And um, had we had some good times in there. We, tempers would flare at times and did um, about things. But um, overall, it was just a place to relax. And one principal in particular tried to do everything he did and did finally towards the end, finally basically just put a padlock on the door to keep people from going in there. And um we just found a new place to go. So, where was the new place to go? For a time, when I was doing the annual, for a time it became my room downstairs in the where the annual room was, and then when I no longer did that, by that time, uh, Coach Tally had moved his office down into the gym under where the concession stand area was, which used to be Miss Ann Beam's. Area. And he had a classroom, and we would meet down there. Um, because left. that
0: used to be the, that's the area that used to be the, the cafeteria. Right, there
1: was a, a big-sized classroom under there. And um, that's where we were meeting. And Tally left first and went to Valley Head. And then I think I stayed a couple of more years, and then I left. And then after that, I don't really know what happened.
0: Anybody that stands out to you in terms of either either teachers or people in the community?
1: Sure, Lewis Adams off the top of my head was one. Special Ed teacher, um, just fine human being, just upstanding human being, um, excellent teacher, worked with uh, groups of uh, special ed kids, and he not only worked with them academically, but he also tried to work with them from a practical standpoint It could help them get a, a job of some kind and get, gave them training beyond just academics. He's one that stands out. Um, Wade Daniel, I was taught with several years there. Just, he of course had the Geraldine connection. He grew up and graduated from Geraldine years before I did, but um, excellent human being, just, you know. Um, of course, I was good friends with Gary Talley and Bill Monroe, Tally, I don't know, Tally and I had never met until the uh, you know, first day we saw each other at Sylvania and for some reason something clicked and we've still been friends. Um, your f- parents were awfully good to me uh, when I was there and um, tried to help the school, help the community. Of course your mother was working as an aide there when I was there uh, for a while and she went to Head Start but um, they're excellent people there. Um, Mr. Um, Gilbert Butler, who had retired as um, ag teacher, but was um, there in the community, just lived across the street from the school. He's you know, mainline supporter of the school, the community helped any way he could. Um, there are just you know so many different ones that did and that as I said earlier that was one of the big things about Sylvania is that there was so much quality sincere school support
0: it's now been you know many years since you taught in mm-hmm. Sylvania but is there anything that you know of that you know is gone from Sylvania that you think and I know we've talked about some people who have passed on that they sure should be remember mm-hmm. but is there any sort of event or a, a location a building a Something that you know that is past that should be remembered.
1: No, I mean the the campus is different. Of course, now it's expanded. Um, new buildings have been added. New gym added. Uh, those types of things, and some of it needed to be done. There are some things that needed to be done. Um, I really can't think of anything along that line. Probably the loss of some of the. Uh, like chorus and things like that, that attracted a lot of kids, attracted more kids and gave them more opportunities than just football or band or sports and band. Of course, another change that's come to the Sylvania communities, most of the communities in DeKalb County, is the rise in the Hispanic culture and the um, Latino population in um, in the county, and that's like any change, that has been hard for some to accept and for some not. There's been pros and cons of all that as well, and that's countywide. Um, of course, I, I saw it firsthand in Crossville, and, but it has grown um, to all the county schools now. And um, that's not a negative thing, it's just it has made a change in our Education system and in our population and in the people that we deal with on a daily basis, you know, in just everyday life. I can remember when Collinsville won the state championship
0: in soccer,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and saying to my brother, wife, went back in time and told the fifteen-year-old you, "Hey, Collinsville's going to win a state championship mm-hmm. in soccer." Yeah. <laughs> would you have believed it? and would you want to know what the details were?
1: Right. Well. I mean, this is about another school, but when I went to Crossville in 1995, there were about 100 Hispanic students K-12. When I left 14 years later, we were 76%. So in that 14 years, you know, how things had changed. And that rapid a change, not just, and that Crossville-Collinsville had it, the most growth the quickest growth but that type of change in anything was uh, hard for a for the county to adopt in terms of just where do we put these new bodies that are coming in here how do we communicate with their families because you know this is sand Mountain and uh, sand Mountain English versus um, Spanish and you know, I remember the day when they thought, oh, we've got this translating program on the computer. Well, that Spanish and the Spanish that was being spoken at home were two different, you know, doesn't matter how many letters you type out in this, if they, you know, if they're not reading it, they can't, under- it doesn't help at all. So I remember, you know, jokes. And well, you can look back now and sort of see the humor in it, but at the time, you, you couldn't. Stressful. Very stressful.
0: You know, you told a couple stories about basketball games, are there any, you know, during that 10 year period, are there any kind of particular sports memories that you would call out, good and bad, good or bad?
1: Well, I mean, we had very good sports teams during that football and basketball. I can't, you know, I'm not like Tally Monroe and some of those others that can um, tell you what color socks they had on at what game. But we had good teams, we had good support. Um, And I think the difference then and now is the fact that I think they enjoyed it more. There were not quite as many things to divert and dilute attention. And so the community, the students, faculty were more focused on those things. And I think we had a better time than we do now because it was really, you know, what are you gonna do on Friday night in Sylvania, Alabama besides go to the ball game? And, and you had a good time with it. You know, there human beings are human beings and I'm in the last several years, I've been amazed at what I call the stupidity of mankind. And there have been lots of, you know, things that were done that shouldn't have been done. There were a lot of things that, um, but we did have a good time. We had a lot of laughs um i'll tell two quick stories if i may they were tied in with some of that when i went to sylvania in 85 there were seven computers and it's in the building seven apple 2e computers which our phones do you know can do more than they could well but sylvania was high on the list because they had seven, most of the other schools didn't. One of them was in the office and the other, one was in the library and then the others were supposed to be swapped around the classrooms. And because of that, because of the expense of those in that time there were major, you had to keep up with where they were in inventory. And I remember it came time to do inventory and we had to account for those computers. Kathy Roebuck, Mr. Parrish, you on. Know, you know, if you have the computer, you let us know where it is, yada, yada, yada. Six computers. Where's the seventh one? Nobody knew. There's got to be another one here somewhere, you know, and hellfire and damnation is going to rain down if we don't find it. Well, Kathy's youngest daughter said, Mama, it's in the girl's dressing room at the gym. And the P teacher at that time girls P teacher was Ann Bean, who was a character unto herself and very successful coach in girls sports um, but she was a, a character unto herself <clears throat> so Weldon went and asked her Ann is that comp-? no it's not down there now why he wouldn't as principal of the school walk down the stairs and say is it or isn't it but he didn't this went on for weeks Julie said, Mama, it's in the corner, on the table, covered up, uh, right over there. Wouldn't do anything about it, wouldn't do anything about it. So finally, Kathy said, I've got to get this report done. So one night after after a basketball game, we got what was called at um, uh, Sylvania the master key, which was the boat cutters, and we cut the lock off of that because Ann Beam was the only one that had a, lock, a key to that lock, went down there, and sure enough, there was the computer. So we got it, took it back, and of course, the lock was cut, left cut off. Next morning, <clears throat> we were up in the rat hole, all sitting around, and I think Gary Talley was the one that was sitting where he could see down the, all the way down the hall. And there came Ann Beam up the Backstairs, in the hall, and she was dragging a chain. And you could tell, you could always tell if she was in a good mood or wasn't. Tally said something about said, there comes Miss Bean. Well, Monroe started sweating, because Monroe's fingerprints were on the boat cutters. Now, I'll admit I was in the vicinity, but my fingerprints weren't on the boat cutters. She came in, and... The way the rat hole was set up, there were two couches and some chairs, sort of made a U. And there was a little table, sort of a handmade coffee table there in the center. And she walked in and had that chain and she brought that chain over her shoulder and slammed it down. And the rest of us said, "Uh, Monroe, she said, I want to talk to you, talking to Monroe and the rest of us said, we'll see you in a little while Monroe. And we just all left and left him stuck in there with her. She cussed him up one side and down the other. Now, she never got in trouble for hiding the, the uh, computer, but boy, he got, and we still give him a hard time about End Beam and the chain. But um, that was one of the, the characters, you know, and just how it shows how it changed, that, that a school the size of Sylvania, because Sylvania at that time was one of the largest schools, we had seven computers in the entire school old Apple IIe's <clears throat> with floppy disk and nobody knows what that is anymore. And then the second story that's just always been funny to me going back to the heating and cooling. This was in late fall and the radiators going full blast and I've had my windows open upstairs and those are the old windows that opened out. And, by early afternoon, as I'd said, my room was on the west side of the building so it even got hotter with that sun coming in. So I walked over to my door to open the door to get cross ventilation and about the same time I did that, the lady across the hall, uh, Pat Edmonds, who was just a wonderful English teacher and just funny and, and cut you know she'd cut you to the bone and you know we always said coach pat as we called her uh, which she never coached anything But we always said she's the kind that would cut you and laugh while you're bleeding on the floor and she was opening her door at the same time i was opening mine and we said something to each other and i stepped back in my room and i had pushed back then at that time those old doors were real wooden Doors. They were not prefab anything. These were heavy, hard oak old doors. And I had pushed mine back against the wall, so mine was completely open. And she had just sort of pushed hers open, and her door was was open, but it was angled into the hallway. And by the time I stepped back in my room, I heard somebody just flying and climbing up the stairs running as fast as they could. <clears throat> you could just hear them flop, flop, flop. And I was doing something with students and the running was getting closer and closer and I thought, who in the world is that? And just as I stepped to my door to see what was going on, this particular student got to our doors and just halved, like one of those old Halloween witches they used to see they'd put up on poles, Pat's door. It shook, it felt like it shook the building. And there he was, laying on the, he was 15, 16 years old. There he was, laying on the floor, moaning, groaning, severe pain, clutching anything he could clutch, trying to make sure body parts were still connected. All the men were coming out of their rooms, trying to help him and, you know, make sure he was not too hurt. And Pat walked over, came out of her room, looked down at him and said, if you hadn't been running, that wouldn't have happened. Turned around, walked back in, and that was the end of it. So we still use that phrase too sometimes. Um, that was a standout with my bunch.
0: Talk about transitioning here, because you, something you said made me think to ask you about it. Do you remember anything about um, about the time there connected to like the holiday period and i mean anything from like halloween harvest festival thanksgiving christmas new year's is there anything that stands out to you or anything that you remember a memory about time in sylvania during that period of
1: the year <laughs> well you always had those types of things and um, pta pto whether it was called back then you know harvest festival particularly um, I remember the, the first year I was at Sylvania um, because at that time, teachers tenure was a big thing. And if you tick the principal off, you didn't know that you'd get hired back and you had to be hired back so many years and, and all that. So it was a big thing. <clears throat> so you didn't want to make the principal mad. So there was, it had to be mid November, late November uh, and as I said before, the elementary classes were downstairs. And the third grade classes, Dale Law and Debbie Sizemore were practicing for Christmas. And they were just singing to their little hearts out, you know, and had all the windows open, it was hot as blazes with that, again, with the radiators going. And I, I still remember I was teaching, trying to teach seventh graders about Phoenicians and Sumerians. They could have cared less To be honest, I could have cared less. But that was that day, my very first ever box of school supplies that I had ordered with school supply money had arrived. So it had to be, you didn't get your money until October 1, so this was late November. And And it was a big box, and it was full of packing peanuts. Well, there, Debbie and Dale's classes, I think they were in Debbie's room, and um, windows all opened, and they were just singing their hearts out about Frosty the Snowman and all, getting ready for a Christmas program for the PTO. My kids were bored and just, you know, didn't know what to do. And, and it just hit me. I took those packing peanuts and started shaking them out along my windows, and they were just slowly floating down. And all of a sudden, you heard these screams from these third graders, it's snowing, it's snowing, it's snowing. Well, I don't know who ratted me out, <clears throat> but it wasn't 10 minutes later. Mr. Parrish came thundering in my room, looking out my windows and looking at me. So I got a rake and cleaned up all of the uh, peanuts, but uh, I can still hear those kids screaming, it's snowing, it's snowing. And uh, that was one of my memories of that time period.
0: I think it's funny that, to you know, thinking back of me... Being one of your students and kind of a perspective at that age of of who you were when, you know, you really weren't that much older than I was. But, you know, when you're when you're 15, somebody who's, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 years older than you Mm -hmm. at 15 feels like you might as well be 30 years older Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And I remember that, you know, a story like that, it's it's I always like hearing a story like that from you because, you know, I think. It was generally known that Bill Monroe was a prankster mm-hmm. and that Gary Talley was a
1: prankster. Mm-hmm.
0: And then I even think about, I feel like Coach Galloway was also, you know, back in his time. Back in his, it, yes, he was, was certainly, he was, yeah, he was, he, was a, prank, he was a He
1: was yeah, a, a big-time one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that you got away with, mm. <laughs> that you, you, were, you were stealthier about it. I was... <laughs>
1: As I have said a few times, I knew how to cover my tracks a little bit better than they. I mean, they sort of glorified in it. I, I didn't. You, you know, the my room, classroom, and Monroe's classroom shared a common wall, and uh, you could lean out my room and lean out his room, and you could, you know, we could talk to each other and see each other through the windows. <clears throat> and I know one time I threw a paperwad in. And he blamed, took a kid out and was about to paddle him, and I had to go out and say, no, 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 he didn't do this. I'm the one that did that. Uh, Or, you know, Weldon would get mad because we would, of course, we still had um, chalkboards, and we would take our erasers and beat them on the side of the building to get the excess... um, Uh, Dust out of the out of the erasers, and he'd get mad because you could see the. You know, we used we ought to have used white chalk because it wouldn't have shown up so much on a white building, but we had yellow chalk, and I know he'd get mad because we'd do that.
0: We talked about um, we talked about the pipes rupturing at '86, but is there any time there that that you think of a particular snowstorm or a snow event?
1: Oh, well, there's some funny and you know, I mean. Anytime you say snow on Sun mountain, people panic. You know the tradition: go go get your toilet paper and your milk and your bread. And there were sometimes you know when the weather would catch us off guard, and you know you really had to get kids on buses and get home because there were, you know, there were times when it was dangerous. Uh, <clears throat> of course, one of the fun times, funny times, um, when the prom season comes along. Uh, That's always a major ordeal, you know. In one year, those years of the eighties, particularly those late eighties, that was the year that, or the years that prom people, I mean, they just went berserk in terms of the the dresses that the girls bought or rented, and tuxes and limos and meals and I know one time as an economic lesson, we added up. I think there were, I'll say, 80 seniors. Okay. And the ones, everybody didn't go to the prom, but the ones that did go to the prom. And I said, all right, let's tally up. And we tallied up what it would cost for, you know, each girl said, this is what my dress costs, this is what makeup, all the accessories. And the boys said, this is what I, you know, added everything up. It was over $100,000. For one grade, for one night, you know, and I, I still remember that just how crazy that was in the '80s. That's '80s. This is in the '80s money. money. This is '80s money. Girls had to have the sequin dresses, and you know, and all that, uh, all these things. Big hair time of society. Well, one particular year, it was time for the prom, and. Of course, the juniors pay for the prom. They sell magazines and do other things. Sylvano is the junior extravaganza They brought in huge amounts of money for the prom. <clears throat> and you raise your money and the juniors pay for it and the seniors are the guests. And the juniors, you have a group of the juniors that get to go leave and go decorate. And at that time, uh, I was a junior sponsor and uh, Bill Munro was a junior sponsor. And Ellen Hardiman was junior sponsor. Ellen, English teacher, you know, and she took it big, and it was just this big hoopla and yada yada. And and <clears throat> Bill and I was get this done, let's get this over with, and and go. So we were it coming up on the prom on Saturday night. And this was a, about. Mid-April, somewhere around April, the prom was going to be like April the 12th. So it was late, real late, in April, or mid-April. And we were going to go Friday night, Friday afternoon after school and decorate over at Goose Pond at Scottsboro, which was where most of the Sylvania proms were at that time. And lo and behold, Thursday night, before we had a freak snowstorm, and school was canceled. Ellen Hardiman called, just pant, what are we going to just... Panic, panic, panic! Because we couldn't go decorate. Right. Well, we couldn't get off the mountain. There's no way we could. You know, we we're out of school. If it wasn't that, you know, sometimes it wasn't that bad. You could travel, and this was a, this was a freak snowstorm, and it really did mess up the roads, and you couldn't travel. And you know, she'd call me, and she'd call Bill, and Bill. And this was before cell phones, you know, and and she. Oh, it was just. She was just just. What we're gonna do? What we're gonna do? What we're gonna do? Well. The weather projection was it was gonna warm up during Friday and we said all we can do is go over Saturday morning and decorate. And so we got over there about 6.30 on Saturday morning to decorate. And I still remember those girls coming in in those prom dresses. You could still see the snow, of course, for those that don't know, Goose Ponds at Scottsboro, which is in the valley. You could see the snow line on the mountain still. There was still snow in the parking lot And these girls in these springtime prom dresses were trying to stay warm and get in the building. Um, That was the only time we had something like that. Um, We'd have bad weather. We'd have to think about the tornado warning or something like that. But we were at a prom when tornado hit Geraldine when I was principal. But um, that was the only really bad weather we had. that I remember at Sylvania.
0: That was spring of 1987. I can remember a photo of Daniel Palmer and his tux next to like a snowbank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sunshine and bright yes, um, with sunglasses mm-hmm. on. But there's snow on But the there's a snowbank. Um, yeah. So you actually were there then for another big event, is the Blizzard of 93.
1: Yes, that shut us down for over a week. That's probably the biggest weather, snow weather event that um, ever had, in my lifetime even. And, you know, talking about climate change, I remember as a kid, as a small child growing up, we used to always have at least three good snows. I'm talking about, I mean, I have pictures when I was a small child of where my mom had to tie um, bread bags up over my boots so that, you know, it was that deep. And um, that was probably the last major, major snow event we had. We were out of school well over a week. And at that time, you had to make all those days up. So that threw it at the end. You know, do you take spring break, which, you know, would have caused a national uproar, or do you add it on to the end of, of the year? And that was always, because then you had to think about senior trips. Then you had to think about if you had already ordered your diplomas, it had this date versus the actual date. And so it was just always... Um, Something that you had to float, which to some people were, you know, it was, it was just the major, major thing, which in reality, it really wasn't all that major of a thing. We just had to deal with it. When I was a
0: senior in winter of 88, I think we were out eight days from a snowstorm, and that pushed graduation to June. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, mm-hmm. at that time, that was the first time Sylvania had ever had graduation in June. Yeah. June, that, June 3rd.
1: Yeah. Of course, Bill Noble always did graduation. And then when he left, I got bumped up from junior sponsor to senior sponsor. And then I had to do graduation, getting everything set up. And of course, Sylvania always wanted to have their graduation on the football field. It didn't matter what the weather was going to do, you know. But we survived it too. Was there ever a rain out? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was and, it postponed or was it? No, they just. Moved to the gym, Gym. everybody dripping wet and you grabbed the diplomas. See, back then, we weren't smart. We put the diplomas in the cover and and had them there on the table. Later, I got smart enough to, we just put the covers out there and then they had to go pick up the diplomas because then there was a time period right in there where you rented your cap and gown and you had to turn them in. I don't know if you still had to do that or if they had changed it. Yes, we did. Now they buy them, you know, there's basically one step up from paper and they buy them and it doesn't matter but then you had to turn them back in we had to pack them and send them back to the rental company so to make sure that we got our captain gowns back we started keeping the diplomas until we checked them off then we gave them the diploma and they got a blank cover at the actual ceremony yeah i remember one time you could see this huge thunderstorm coming that noble was still there and he was up talking and doing his thing and dragging it on. I remember Weldon leaned forward and grabbed him by the uh, coattail of his suit and yanked, you know, tell him to hurry up because it was coming up out of the valley, coming from the river, and you could just see the light, but we we just did it quick and got out. Made it. Made it, yeah.
0: Any other people or any other stories or any other events that you, from that era that (laughs) jump out at you
1: well, I mean, there's numerous, and that's where just good old, well, some of them probably couldn't be repeated, shouldn't be repeated. You know, Bill Munro, Gary Talley, Ronald Lee, as I said, friendships were made, and we we ran into Marla. Jones.
0: Marla Samples Jones.
1: Yes. We ran into her at a restaurant one night that all four of us were and had gone out to eat, and she said, this is my entire history, uh, high school history class, high school history legacy right here. You know, and she wanted to put our picture on uh, uh, her Facebook page or whatever. I said, well, you can, but you've got to put a declaration that we didn't have anything to do with how you turned out, you know, or anything else. Um, But there, I had a, those years at Sylvania were, a growing period for me. They still have some great memories, great friendships, both in the school and in the community. When myself and Bunro and Tally and Ronald Lee get together, we tell the same stories and and know what's going to be told, And but we still laugh at them. So I guess that's what matters.
0: It, it is interesting that you said that about Marla seeing you out, that you guys really did form that Group mm-hmm. at Sylvania when mm-hmm. you were
1: teachers there. We did. And then. Of course, I had. Munro's the oldest of, of that four. Munro's the oldest. And we remind him of that often. But see, his mother had been my science biology, chemistry, and physics teacher, Geraldine. So he's from Geraldine. So I, I knew who he was. We knew each other. And then um, went there and of course he was teaching there and i'd never met ronald and i had never met gary uh, but yeah we just you know became friends and have stuck it out through all these years and at least we i reckon we still are we still see each other pretty often to be honest those were probably those first five six years that i taught were probably the last what a teacher would understand what I'm about to say good years of teaching when there were not so many the federal programs didn't come in no child left behind those types of things that uh, have curtailed and um, we still had to think about tests we still you know teach the tests those types of things but it was a different time frame and we could still enjoy the students we still knew something about the students and their home life, and we um, we could laugh. You know, if, if I wanted to take a, a class down and, and let's go walk somewhere, you know, I could do that. And we had time to do that. Uh, I could take a group of 7th grade science kids that I was teaching one time because the principal got mad at me and he took a, a group of uh, seniors away from me and gave me 7th grade science. Well, he thought he was doing me in, what it turned out, I had the superintendent's son, I had the majority of the uh, faculty kids in there, we had a great time, I took them down to the ag building, and we built um, birdhouses, and incorporated that in science, and the superintendent's son, who died recently, his mother said, um, that birdhouse was still sitting in his bedroom, when he died, you know, so, those are good memories real good memories and every community has good memories every community has good people education has been hit hard the last few years with stupidity and that's beyond the scope of what this is but you know we always had kids that were poor we always had kids that needed extra help we always had kids that to be honest that were gay and what so many of our students and their teachers are facing today from just utter ridiculousness and another issue today is the rise of technology so many of the te- so many young teachers today they don't have a clue how to teach if they couldn't use google classroom it's so frustrating to me that so many student teachers today think if they have put on a a YouTube video and told them to watch it and answer some questions they have taught class and that's not teaching we can do that they can do that at home that's not teaching education is supposed to be about sharing of ideas and having discussions and that's what I tried to do and not say me the teacher my political ideas or my religious ideas or my whatever ideas are the only one but to try to bring everybody particularly when you're t- teaching older kids you know Several in your class uh, worked. Several of them, whether you knew it or not, several of them were paying the bills at home. Um, and you have the right to your opinion, and your opinion, my opinion, you know, that, I think that's been one of the biggest changes I've seen in the last few years is the fact that t- a teacher can't say, all right, let's discuss this topic here's what i think about it and some teachers will say if you don't believe the way i believe you're wrong but that's that's dangerous and something's got to be done about that and whatever the whether it's gun control or whatever abortion or gay rights or whatever it is but to say that you can't have a conversation about something i think that's a whole lot more dangerous in in terms of what education is supposed to be about i still believe give me textbook a group of students who are concerned about learning something whatever the subject is a chalkboard and a piece of chalk and shut the door and leave me alone and that's all you need
0: i hope this conversation made episode three worth the wait i want to thank robbie for sitting down so many months ago to share these memories And to thank you, the listener, for being patient during the production process. I'm Steve Jones, and until next time, keep collecting those stories.